as an employer then, so as an employer manager, you have to know that people have been socialized and designed to actually inhibit all the things you say you want, growth, adaptability, engagement, right? Because they've been designed to acquire and achieve things. So every time an employer points and go, but that's the school's responsibility to prepare them. It's <laughs> like, <laughs> it may, hey, it may not be your fault, but it is your problem. Welcome back, everyone, to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy, never normal shift going on all around us. Our goal is to bring you ways to reimagine tomorrow and explore the ever-changing convergence of people, business, and technology. Here is your host, Ira Wolf. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show. Thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. I'm Ira Wolf. If you think this is just another podcast, think again. We are the voice of the most important conversations on the future of work confronting business leaders and people today. Our goal is to bring you ways to reimagine tomorrow and to explore the ever-changing convergence of business, people, and technology. On today's show, we're going to take a deep dive into the topics of mattering with one of our Geek Skeezers and Googleization alumni, Zach Mercurio. I think this is Zach's third visit this year. Uh, it's perfect timing, too, because just the other night, I found myself on the outside looking in. It turns out I walked out of the fitness center I go to on a regular basis without my car keys and my key, key fob to get back in. I tried to grab the door before it slammed shut and locked, but I missed it. There I was standing in the cold, banging on the window, tapping on the door, trying to get the attention of someone inside. For a moment, I felt invisible. With the world seemingly spinning faster and out of control, there are millions of people feeling like that, uh, that they're feeling separated from the past and the present and locked out of the future. Feeling invisible seems to be epidemic. It's no wonder that many of us are feeling pretty stressed out these days, like we're outside on the outside looking in, tapping on the glass, trying to get the attention of someone inside. Well, today we're going to talk about how to unlock that door, or better yet, how to not get locked out in the first place. I'm so excited that Zach is back to guide us on this journey. But first, it's time for the perfect labor storm. And this segment is where we explore things that I find on a regular basis that are worrisome or trends that are hopefully going in the right direction. LinkedIn's most in-demand skills report was just released uh, for 2024. And anyone that knows me can only imagine the rush that I felt to see that adaptability was identified as the most important skill of the moment. We've been talking about that for 10 years. While listening to an interview with Anish Rahman, a vice president at LinkedIn, while he was sharing the results, he shared an insight, a really insightful quote that stuck with me. Jobs are changing on you, even if you are not changing jobs. 
LinkedIn currently suggests that 25% of the skills required to do a job have changed over the past three years. And, and 65% of skills required to do a job will change by 2030. That means that no matter what job title you hold today, the work you do in just about five years will feel like a new job, even if you're paid by the same employer, working on the same team, and sitting at the same desk. Don't change, don't adapt, don't reskill, don't upskill, and you will very likely find yourself locked out, feeling like you don't matter. It's a given that change is happening much faster than most of us can keep up. What can you do to become more comfortable with being uncomfortable? To improve your adaptive skills, to improve your AQ, your adaptability quotient. The go-to response seems to be, well, we just need to all work harder. It's the default panacea for everything, every crisis, every dilemma. While the intention of working harder is good, in today's world evolving at quantum speed, the result is likely not better outcomes, but stress, depression, and burnout, not to mention a myriad of other unhealthy medical and health conditions. Opportunities to reskill and upskill are often met re with resistance and even grief over the loss of the past. It's almost like the future is stealing our identity and self-worth. So what can individuals do and what changes what must employers make? Well, I've kept Zach and you waiting long enough. Zach Mercurio is an author, researcher, speaker, and consultant, and a good friend specializing in purposeful leadership, meaningful work, and positive organizational psychology. He wrote The Invisible Leader, Transform Your Life, Work, and Organization with the Power of Authentic Purpose, and his forthcoming book, which we can't wait to get our hands on, He's been talking about it for a while, and I know working diligently at it. It's called Mattering Comes First, How Filling the Human Need for Significance Can Revitalize Workplaces and Restore Community. It'll be released by Harvard Business Review Press in 2025. Let's give a good old Googleization Nation welcome to Zach Vicurio. Thanks, Ira. It's good to see you. Hey, it's great to see you too. Um, I, I'm looking for. I've been looking for this to the time that you had agreed, but over the last couple of days, um, there's just so many things that have been happening, and I know you've been diligently working at your book, yeah. uh, which finally uh, you you picked your title. I think you shared that one on one of the last conversations we had. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't know if wait. I was supposed to. Yeah, <laughs> so, but it's out now, right? Yeah. It's out. <laughs> Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, I mean, this has been your passion. Um, your previous book was The Invisible Leader, and we, we shared that. And uh, you, you drop so many gems and nuggets every time you're here. But let's talk about that. And then I want to dig into what I, I just shared, my experience. And, yeah, and I think yeah. that aligns with exactly what you're talking about. People are just, um, as, as I was prepping for the show, it seems like people are grieving over the, the loss of the past and where they're going to fit in this future. Mm. Yeah, there's a the American psychologist William James uh, wrote probably the most profound quote on what you're ex you're experiencing and what you're talking about. And he said that no more fiendish punishment could be devised were such a thing physically possible that one should be turned loose in society and remain unnoticed. Wow. 
And, you know, no more punishment is greater on us than remaining invisible. And the work that we've been doing is looking at the first act that we do as human beings and how that carries through our life. We are on a quest for significance, and that quest commences at birth. Uh, the first act as a human being that you did, that I did, is we tilted our head upward and we reached out for someone to care for us. That's the first act. Before you searched for food, uh, as a human, you searched to matter to somebody else. Yet, you know, that instinct has, has as you have pointed out, has become overlooked. And when that instinct is not met, just like when the instinct to eat is not met, we either withdraw, you know, our energy languishes, uh, we isolate ourselves, or we act out in desperation. You know, we rebel, we complain, we blame. Um, and so it's a major overlooked initial instinct uh, that I think is necessary to solve our loneliness and disconnection epidemics. The opposite of loneliness is not having more people around you. You know, the opposite of loneliness is feeling like you matter to the people around you. Uh, and that's the mission that we're on. And the reason why the book's called Mattering Come First, Comes First is it literally comes first as human beings. But then it's almost impossible to be motivated to do anything when you feel insignificant. Think about the last time you were energized and simultaneously felt insignificant or pointless. And the same thing with adaptability. You can't adapt if you don't believe you have the skills to adapt. So mattering comes first psychologically and biologically. So I, I want to dig into that a little bit more. I'm currently teaching a, a class in innovation and entrepreneurship. And, and th this semester, having a great time. I mean, I've had some, the last classes, uh, it was, it's undergrad. Um, but most mm -hmm. of them were juniors and seniors, a uh, few sophomores. Uh, mm -hmm. This year, it's it's there's uh, quite a few first year students, second year students, and we're literally introducing the idea of uh, the the opportunity to be an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. But I, I impress upon them that entrepreneurship isn't necessarily an innovation. It does innovation doesn't have to be Steve Jobs and Elon Musk level, you know, innovation. Um, and entrepreneurship doesn't have to be at that level either. Um, and, and we're talking about mindset. We're, mm. we're literally, is, is I'm trying to instill that you can get a job, you can work for somebody, uh, and you can, and it's really just about having that entrepreneur mindset. So I, I, I put them on, you know, gave them some assignments. And just yesterday, I, in fact, I'm still behind on grading some of them, um, but I'm going through the assignments and it's interesting because the one thing that most of them feel is like, well, they don't know if I'm an entrepreneur, mm. um, that I need to feel more comfortable taking risk. Mm. Uh, I need to build my confidence. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it was aligning all these things. And then it's like, yeah. hey, we're going to be talking about mattering. So it it got into what got into my head is, is we can teach people how to be successful. We can, you know, we've got a, I, I've got so many tools in my toolbox to help people become more adaptive, to seize, to, to become comfortable. And it all makes sense to me. And it makes logical sense to them. Yes, I want to learn new things. I want to grow. I want to skill. I don't want to be out of a job. But it's so hard to take that first step. <laughs> 
It is. And that is why self-belief is a prerequisite for adaptability or innovation. And it's often overlooked. There was a, there's a great study done by the uh, United States Army Research Institute, and they uh, were trying to figure out there's a special forces assessment and selection course uh, for special forces officers. And it is one of the most grueling, physically demanding courses. It has like almost a 75% dropout rate. Hmm. And obviously, adaptability, resilience, being able to think quickly is an, a critical skill that someone would need to have. But the researchers wanted to know what predicted the people who left, dropped out of this demanding course, and what predicted people staying. And what they found was, was interesting. The number one factor and whether someone stayed was not physical ability. It was not ability to respond to stress. It was not self-care approaches. It was what's called self-efficacy. Self-efficacy is the belief that we're capable. And the researchers actually measured mattering to others. And the soldiers that experienced mattering to others had relationships in their lives and as they were starting the course, in which others showed them the evidence of their significance. It helped them to develop this reservoir of self-belief that they could tap into when times get got tough. So what's important to know about this, like entrepreneurs or innovators, is that you have to also surround yourself with people that show you the evidence of your significance. And you also have to do the critical reflection to say, hey, when maybe I haven't been an entrepreneur before, but there have been times where I've successfully responded to difficulty. And here's what I did when I did that to give you that reservoir of self-belief to tap into so that you can be adaptable. Because a skill without the self-belief to use the skill is useless, right? We have to have that self-belief. Um, and so I'm really glad we're talking about this, especially with entrepreneurs, especially with people in high pressure occupations, because a lot of times we just assume that we'll just we'll just get it. We don't we, we just learn the skill and we'll be fine. But you need the self belief first. Adam, so you know, as, as we go back, as I said, the classes is innovation and entrepreneurship, and and even as you know, many of them took it just to find out what entrepreneurship was about. They really didn't have intentions of opening a business to start a business. Um, you know, there's a number of um, in there that there's a few students that are pre-med, pre-dental accounting. So they're technically going to open a business, but not in, in that same sense. But, um, you know, it, so the default goes back to this hard work. I mean, it's like, well, you know, how did, what they resonated with, I, I shared four videos with them. And they one was about somebody who failed, one was about who took another direction, one was from Mark Cuban, you know, but the theme that runs across a lot of these was, it's about passion and perseverance, and it became grittiness and hard work. And, and they, I would say more than half the students, there's, there's 22 students, and I, I'm going to say more than half, all resonated with Mark Cuban, that it was, it was about hard work. It was sure. like, which ultimately working harder. And then it was like, yeah, and I think I'll be successful because I'm gritty. <laughs> yeah. But you don't just wake up and become gritty. You but, know, I but think that doesn't mean you matter. 
Right. That's the problem. Oh, but grittiness is an outcome of mattering. Angela Duckworth in her book, Grit, she studied thousands of people. One of the number one most powerful predictors of high grit scores that she found was actually having an other-centered purpose, knowing how you add value to someone else. Consistently predicted grittiness. So like, you can't have resilience. with You can't really have resilience without purpose. Right. You can't have resilience without relationships. Um, resilience is an outcome of having these resources met. It doesn't sell as well on a video for a billionaire entrepreneur <laughs> to say, you know, I relied on my self-belief, the people around me to build that self-belief. I relied on learning from my failures and having to reflect on those times where I was really down that I do matter, right? Mm -hmm. That doesn't, that doesn't get a lot of clicks you know, in a video. Um, but if you peel the layers back, I think just like this special forces study did, right. you know, you'll find, I mean, I'm sorry, you know, I, Mark Cuban's great, but a, a special forces officer, I'm going to say that's a tougher gig than uh, a billionaire <laughs> entrepreneur any day of the week. So uh, when you peel back the layers of these really high performing people, uh, in these high pressure positions, you find it's all the soft stuff that predicts the hard stuff. And what I mean by that is I was working with a special officer trainer responsible for the officer training at the Kennedy School of Special Warfare. We did a session on mattering with them. And uh, he said to me, you know, Zach, a lot of people think that the key ingredient of a lethal unit behind enemy lines is toughness. But he said, it's not, it's love. No one's going to sacrifice for me. If I don't know their kids' names, no one is going to trust me if I don't notice their struggles. No one is going to give their best if they don't believe they have the best within them, right? It's love. Um, and so, again, and what does that go back to? All of this goes back to when you were a child, you searched for significance. Now, when you were a child and you got that significance to a parent or caretaker, you develop what's called secure attachment. Do you know why secure attachment is so powerful? It's not powerful because it coddles you. It's powerful because it actually gives you a secure base to come back to and to venture out from so you can experiment, innovate in the world, develop relationships in the world. And when you have that secure base to come back to, research finds people are more resilient. They have better um, responses to stress. And what does that mean for us? Well, our secure base is the relationships around us our leaders, our peers in a class like you're teaching, um, the, the people in our communities, if we don't develop those soft resources, you could, you could do all the professional development, hard skill, toughness training you want. It won't matter. So the pursuit of, of good grades, the pursuit of a job title, the career path that we pursued uh, in the search of feeling significant, you're is is really being blown up. I mean, it's still important. I mean, obviously doing yeah. well. Oh, yeah, because that's a way to add value. All of those things, career. But adding business. value. But, exactly. but it doesn't but it doesn't do it alone. It only does it alone if nothing else changes. Right. You if, have if you would right. To to add value, you have to feel valued. Adding value and feeling value have a reciprocal relationship. Yeah. It goes back to this basic psychology. If you don't have that secure base, you're not as likely to venture out. It's why psychological, like everything from to me, maybe because I'm writing this book, is mattering in disguise, <laughs> right? 
psychological safety, for example, hot topic. Psychological safety is the belief that you will not be humiliated against, you will not be, uh, you have repercussions for speaking up, that you can share your voice. What is that really saying? It's saying you have a secure base. You have a secure base where you feel valued and you feel inherent worth because you're a human being, not because of what you do or don't do as a human being. And when you feel that inherent worth somewhere, you have the reservoir of self-efficacy, of belief in yourself to venture out. Uh, one of the people in one of our studies we were doing, she's a, a entertainment executive in a very tough industry. And I asked her, you know, how do you make it through? And she goes, well, when, when I was a child, when I was eight years old, my dad abruptly left my family. And it was the first Christmas and I was with my mother. And I remember very vividly my mother bringing out a stool and telling me to step up and put the star on the Christmas tree. It's something my dad used to do. And she goes, I remember that she gave me something important to do. And I, I always, when I'm having a hard time, I recall that twinkling Christmas tree. I recall standing tall on that stool and I look at my proud mom in my head and I say to myself, I can do this. These little moments of mattering uh, can create this belief in ourselves that lasts our entire lifetime. But if we just focus on ourselves and creating these hard skills, and we don't cultivate these relationships that reflect back to us our significance. We're going to be left with a dry reservoir of self-belief. We won't have anything to tap into when times get tough. A skill is not going to save you when you're in emotional despair. What's going to save you is belief in yourself. So let's, you know, I, I think I fit it. Yeah, there, there's a lot. There's so much there. Um, and there's a million thoughts and I, I'm going to write something down, but then I'm going to miss something else that you say. So I forgot what I was going to write down. But if, if we go back to even what I talked about, I mean, in keeping this, this is about the future of work and, and what, why you're writing uh -huh. this book and what, what the challenges are, is the fact that I just blew up a couple of people's, my, I just, I literally locked people out of their future saying that 65% of your job is going to change. Uh, you're essentially going to be, even if you don't change jobs, don't change employers, don't change paychecks, don't change your desk. Yeah, yeah. You're in a different job. Mm-hmm which means you need to learn new skills. And we don't know what that job's going to look like. And they have to learn new skills. And then we talk about you're going to learn a skill, but you know, really, you're, you're going to learn this new skill. But in two to four years, that skill is going to maybe obsolete. Mm. And you're going to have to learn a new skill, yeah. which is not the, the world, the life, the career that most people signed up for. Yeah, most people signed up for specialists. You know, it's like when you go in to be a specialist, when you go, when I, I used to teach undergraduates and they would always ask, what do you want to do with your life? <laughs> you know, they'd ask each other, what are you going to do with your life? And as you choose something, then your, your options get narrower, right? So like yeah. the more you say, here's what I do, then you get narrower. And the way to widen that perspective is as, if you're looking at your future career, say what kind of impact do I want to make? What strengths do I have to solve problems? Because when you ask like, how, how do I want to contribute? Or which strengths and resources do I have to best solve the problems around me? You actually widen your possibilities, right? It allows you to look wider because you're not beholden to a specific set of skills or tasks. You're using your resources, which are your strengths, which are your unique gifts. Just thinking about that helps you feel like you matter. But then you also widen your perspective to how I can contribute. I mean, one of the things that's really interesting is that um, achievement 
is not accessible every day. A contribution is. So like when you're starting in a job, instead of asking, oh, what, do, what, what do I want my next five years to be like? Ask, you know, what kind of impact do I want to make here in five years? And then as you go on and as you keep reflecting on that question, then ask, what are the skills I need to develop that align with my strengths to make that impact? It's much different than the anxiety of what skills do I need to develop to keep up? Right? Everybody's going to ask that question. Your ultimate differentiator as a human being is where your unique gifts meet needs around you. Um, so my advice would be to, to really focus on that question. What kind of impact do I want to make where I am in the next five years? And what are the skills that I need to develop that tap into my strengths so I can make more of that impact? So where, where does someone start? And I think there's two questions there. It's where does the individual start or what does what do employers, managers, and, mm. and, and I'd say managers more than employers because employers, it's going to be tough to you know, change the entire culture, but it's that direct impact that a manager can have on an individual. So from an individual standpoint, somebody says uh, that has the, the wherewithal mm-hmm. to start. What's the first thing they need to do? And then we may have to do the second one after the break. But where what can employers do to create that environment? And I, I know it's one thing to say, create a psychologically safe space in order for this to happen. But it's, it's, it's like, yeah, it's yeah. it's not like, well, if I follow this, you know, these five steps, right. it happens. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so for the individual who's in this setting, I mean, there you, you have to self-reflect on big questions in your life. Even in work, I mean, thinking about the question like, how do you want to contribute? Where, where, what are your strengths? I mean, identifying your character strengths, for example, is a really powerful way. Character strengths are a little bit different than like Gallup or or other strengths fighters. Character strengths are what you love to do and what you're good at, but they're tied with a virtue that benefits others, like wisdom. Um, so. Identifying your character strengths is is a really powerful evidence-based practice that that you can use. And building off of that, then identifying what what problems am I best at solving? Uh, Where do I see my unique strengths making a unique difference where I am? And who might I need to reach out to to help me develop the skills I need to make more of that impact? and widen that perspective. But that self-reflection is absolutely critical. And then, you know, I'll transition. We can do this after the break. But as a manager, and this is where a lot of my work comes in, creating the environment where make that makes it easier for people to see their gifts, their strengths, to make it easier to see how they can make an impact, to make it easier for them to experiment and fail uh, so that they can innovate and adapt and creating pathways is is essential. Because if you put a well individual, and I say this all the time, if you put a well individual into an unwell system, they will become an unwell individual. It doesn't matter how much reflection you do, doesn't how many how much strengths you do, doesn't how no matter how many adaptability trainings they go through or innovation trainings, if they go into a system that doesn't enable psychological safety, that doesn't help them see their gifts, that makes them feel invisible, they will become unwell. And what I mean by unwell is won't be able to adapt, they'll feel stuck, 
Um, so there's environmental component that's huge. And thank you for the queue up. Uh, we've got this, you see it going across the bottom of the screen uh, along with, with your contact information. Um, but I've got a five-day passion challenge, which is a, which really a, about going through some of those steps, some of that self-reflection. Mm. What are you interested in? What what you know, what gets you up in the morning? What when are you most excited? What turns you off? And and kind of a, a little bit of a workbook, a little journaling that goes through that. So um, you know, appreciate that. Uh, we're gonna take a short break and and we'll be back uh, in just about uh, 60 seconds. Uh, but we're talking with uh, Zach Mercurio. Uh, we're talking about mattering. We're talking about how to be successful and thrive in, in the future, which is which is here and uh, changing and coming faster every single day. Um, but we want to thank you, Zach, again for joining us. It, I can't believe it's been 30 minutes already. So <laughs> it's it's it, we're blowing through this. But when we come back, uh, we'll we'll. Well, we're going to wrap up, but want to talk a little bit more uh, about some of the, you know, what what's the first thing someone can do? I mean, I, I know we got my five day challenge, but uh, what can employers do? What can managers do uh, mm. to make this real? So stay with us. We'll be right back. Are your employees feeling stuck and just showing up for a paycheck? Is your workforce working harder to get back to normal than adapting to the future? It's time to help them break their addiction to certainty and develop a growth mindset. Developed by one of the world's top-rated future of work thought leaders, AQ Plus Mindset is a powerful tool to help your employees embrace change, adapt faster, and grow on the job. Conveniently delivered to any smartphone or laptop and easy to digest 5-10 to 10 minute lessons, managers can sit back and watch employee attitude shift towards growth and innovation in just 30 days. Are you ready to help your employees thrive in this ever-changing, never-normal world? Encourage them to show more grit, resilience, adaptability, and unlock their potential? The journey to a growth-filled future starts with a growth mindset. Visit aqplusmindset.com or call 484-373-4300. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to Geeks, Geeks, and Googleization. We're here with Zach Mercurio having a great conversation about mattering. Uh, how you can be successful and thrive in the future of work, Zach. It, 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 the the commercial obviously was was about everything we we're talking about, um, but also it gave me a time, a couple minutes to reflect on on some of the challenges. So I'm not going to, you know, my my tar not my target audience, but the group, the students that I'm working with, they're 18 to 22 years old. So, um, and and even asking them, well, you know, what what's your what's your purpose? And it's like, I, I'm not sure yet. Um, what do you love doing? And sometimes it gets down to almost tasks. I mean, I love working on cars. Mm -hmm. I love working out. I love playing sports. I love, you know, and um, I, you know, I, I love helping people. Mm. But I'm not sure that changes. I, I think there's people that are 40, 50 and 60 years old. You go, what, what would you do? What would you love doing? And, you know, I've got peers, um, older baby boomers, and I got peers and go, I can't wait to retire. What do you, mm -hmm. to do what? And it's, well, I'm going to golf and I'm going to travel. But that's almost, I, I get it, but that's vague. That's <laughs> ambiguous. Right. And, and how long does that, how long does that feel, make you feel like you matter? You know, so well, there's, I mean, yeah, there's I, still I guess, a spare, what, what, Ira, like, so you're talking yeah, 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 about I know, I know. So, in, yeah, in late so adolescence, we, 
like, yeah. right? People in late adolescence have been told, you know, they've been designed wrong. <laughs> what I mean by that, <laughs> by the educational system. So like, uh, you know, good architectural design, you know, form follows function, <laughs> right? If you're building a school, you need to know it's educating people. So then you build the school accordingly. You'd never try to retrofit a school into a warehouse, right? It would cause all sorts of problems. Uh, but with humans, what we've done is we tried to get them to develop the form of their lives, what they're going to do before we've helped them develop the function of their lives, why they are, who they are, what their strengths are. And to expect that that's going to work, to expect that there won't be this tension, to expect that a student will then say to you, well, I don't know, you know, here's what I want, here's what I'm good at, all, just things that I do, is a product of how they've been developed and raised. So when, when you, as an employer then, so as an employer manager, you have to know that people have been socialized and designed to actually inhibit all the things you say you want, growth, adaptability, engagement, right? Because they've been designed to acquire and achieve things. So every time an employer points and go, but that's the school's responsibility to prepare them. It's <laughs> like, <laughs> it may, hey, it may not be your fault, but it is your problem. <laughs> Right. You can't get into that. The schools that we're not, or, or I love when um, employers tell me we're not, this is not therapy. It's work. Right. Or like, this is not our job. This is not school. It, it is human beings are your job. If you're a manager, if you're a leader, humans are your job. Humans are your craft because everything else that you want and you need production performance is a lagging indicator of how a human being feels and the resources they have. So if you don't invest in that, then you can't expect your performance or productivity to be good. I mean, it, you can, it's impossible to have a healthy organization with unhealthy human beings. So I think that one thing that managers have to remember is that they have to create space for this type of reflection. One of those things that it requires of leaders is to have human skills. Um, there's a gr there was a great article in the New York Times by um, some people at LinkedIn. And what they were saying is that as like artificial intelligence eclipses our technical skills as human beings, all we have is the skills to make the person in front of us feel seen, heard, valued, understood, and needed. In fact, a great quote by the Columbia University president who said, uh, in the past, jobs were about muscles. Now they're about brains, but in the future, they'll be about heart. So if you're young right now, I would also lean into these human skills of seeing another human, hearing another person, being able to listen and entertain various ideas, demonstrating intellectual curiosity demonstrating intellectual flexibility, being able to disagree well. All of these things are things artificial intelligence can never do. And as more and more people have learned to communicate with each other via short transactions, one of the most coveted skill sets is going to be the, make sure the person across from you feels valued and understood. So I believe the future of work is not technological. It's interactional.
Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more, by the way. And I don't know if, if that article that you, you referenced was just recent. Um, Very recent. Yeah. yeah. OK, so it, it involved this the uh, the in-demand skills, which adaptability was the yeah. skill of the moment. Well, but this article, was, this article title is when your technical skills are eclipsed, your humanity will matter more than ever. OK, yeah. And and so but the number one skill. So th this is ironic. I mean, I'm going to been in the workforce for 40 years. So. And when we first entered, they said, you know, what the number one skill you need is good communication skills or or at the time it was interpersonal uh -huh. skills. Yep. OK, guess what's number one? Mm -hmm. Communication skills. Guess what's number two? Yeah. Team building. What's <laughs> number three? Customer service. These been this has been around for 50 years yeah. is that everyone says these are the most important skills. But finally. Uh, and, it, and it survived, by the way, communication, team building, customer service, survived an industrial revolution, a computer revolution, and uh -huh. now we're entering the AI revolution. And they haven't gone away. Right. Um, but, but they finally, haven't gone away, but they're under-practiced. Oh, absolutely. It, it, there was a lot of lip service yep. given to it um, because we're, we're going to have uh, – this year we're going to focus on uh, communication and we're, we're going to have a half-day seminar – uh, and we'll do disc or Myers Briggs or something. And now, now we're good. We got the skill. Yeah. We know what to do. <laughs> and next year we'll work on something else. Um, we're going to do project management, which was number four, I think, <laughs> you know, on the list. So there, there are some technical skills that are that are that are available. Yeah, but it 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 nothing's really changed other than the level of importance, the priority. Um, I also, what was going through my mind, uh, and this is probably a message to every CEO who's bring, who, who's doing the return to office mandate. Return to office mandates will work if, going back to what you said earlier, if when the people come back, they feel like they matter. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that they feel that, they, that, the, that the reason to come back is because they can contribute. Yeah. And if they if if I don't feel like I matter and I can go on a screen in the comfort of my home and not worry about my kids and appointments and being a two hour commute, um, I'm going to contribute remotely. So for, for every CEO who's who is looking to return to office, it's not where you work that yeah. matters. It's mattering and and contribution. And the data is all over the place. But Nick Bloom, oh. who's an economist, has studied yeah, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Has studied remote. Yeah, work. He just had a big thing this morning about the level of productivity. Yeah, and... But what he what his main message is, it's not people working remotely. It's how they're managed when they're working remotely. Right. That has the biggest impact. I don't care where, when or how people work. Right. What's most important is what they experience while they're working. And I think that that is that that experience while someone's working is what has the biggest impact on productivity, not where and how they work. If you're, you know, some industries you need to be in person, which is obvious, like that's clear, that's fine. But, you know, if if someone if someone doesn't feel like they matter wherever they are, nothing's going to matter to them. You know, don't expect someone to care if they don't first feel cared for. So as you're, if you're a CEO right now and your leaders don't have the interactional skills to make sure that people feel seen, heard, valued, and understood, then it'll be like in 20 years um, saying that you have a business without a website.
You know, in the late nineties, people were like, do I need a website? You know? And I think now people are like, do we really need to invest in things like mattering or purpose? And I think in 20 years, it's, it's going to be obsolete. You're going to be obsolete if you don't do this because choices of where, when, and how to work are increasing. People don't have to put up with a dehumanizing boss anymore. They can go drive a lift, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, piece together some more money online. I mean, access to gig work and choices of where, when, and how people are work, yeah. infinitely increasing. And with yeah. choice comes discernment. So, so other than calling Zach Mercurio or Ira Wolf, uh, you know, what, what's some tips? Yeah. They, you know, I mean, what, what's some immediate tips that people can sit down right now and do? So it's not, it's not hard. And actually, it's not expensive at all. You know, one of the things that I think that people need to do is there's this whole idea of human-centered design, where you design something with a human being at the end. Like it's a lot of software developers and software engineers use, use this to develop apps and new products. But think about this in terms of like mattering-centered design. So in order for people to feel significant, for people to feel seen, heard, valued, and understood, so that you can develop the resources for people to be adaptable, for people to innovate, for people to perform, what are the skills and what are the environmental characteristics that you would need to have in your organization to do those things? And, and do you have them and how do you measure them? Uh, I think that's the first really powerful if you have a retreat or an offsite, a meeting coming up in the next week, that's the question right now. Even remote work, right? Most of the time we've used te technology is not the issue. How humans use it is. Uh, most of the time we've used technology for remote workers in the vein of efficiency. We use Zoom or whatever or mm -hmm. Slack to be more efficient. Well, it's no wonder why people don't feel like they matter and they're less productive. If you're trying to erase time spent with them. What if you designed your technology use to ensure people feel significant and feel cared for? What would it look like? What would your what would the use of technology look like if that was the end goal of your design? Um, and the other thing that I think is crucial is to remember that um, you know intuition doesn't scale in organizations. Like you can't realize one of the problems with communication skills, and I think that they haven't been adopted is it's like, oh yeah, be a good communicator. I learned that in kindergarten, you know? Um, and we rely on intuition to do it, but intuition doesn't scale. You know, practices and skills do. I was working with a big retailer. They set up all, oh, they go overnight and they set up all the grocery store displays. Mm -hmm. They have a big like frontline crew, oftentimes overlooked in a lot of in, in, in invisible work. And they wanted to scale their culture. They were wondering why their values weren't scaling down to the front line. And I said, okay, well, tell me, like, how do you, how does someone know how to put product on the shelves? Tell me. Oh, we're at lunch. They went into all their flow charts, all of their training, all of their quality control. And then I said, okay, tell me, how does the frontline supervisor know how to make sure people feel valued and know how they add value? And they were like, oh, well, you know, we just try to hire the, hire the right people. So here's the thing. You can't, we have processes and practices and procedures for everything else in organizations except what truly matters to human beings. And so we're going to need to turn this idea into common skills and practices that are as robust as your product strategy, financial strategy. So that's my advice for leaders.
Zach, um, this can go on for a long time. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, uh, good it, questions. Good questions. Yeah, yeah. No, I love this. I love this. Uh, by the way, and, and early on, one of the, one of the thoughts that went through my head, if you're a parent or a teacher, the, it, it, it was, I think it was from a book called The Adaptability Advantage, read it uh, mm. about three or four years ago. And there were three, they said, here's the three dumbest questions. And I don't remember the other, the, the other two will come to me. But the one was, what do you want to be when you grow up? Yes. <laughs> you know, and I'm a prime example of that. As I, I remember oh, when it was asked of, me. Hey, all of yeah, us are. If, 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 fifth grade. I remember the teacher. remember where I was sitting. remember everybody's responses before. And, and, and it was like, oh, I got to say something. I'm going to be a dentist. Um, yeah. You know, and, you know, pursued that path and left. <laughs> you know, and there, there are so many people, you know, you know, like that. So, uh, piece of advice. Don't ask yeah. what do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> I also, I also wish that everybody, including leaders would just relax a little bit and admit that we've made some mistakes. Yeah. You know, like we've made some mistakes in how human, I mean, there's no reason why 30% of people surveyed by work human should indicate that they feel invisible or flat out ignored at work. There's no reason why 65% of people should feel lonely or isolated. There's no reason why 70% of people should feel they're underappreciated. Uh, this is not like generational preference stuff. It's not that people used to go and work hard and then go home, right? And everybody in every generation searches for significance. They talk about it in different ways. So I think we all need to relax a little bit and realize that our environments have not produced the best humans that we could be producing. And we're partly responsible for that. And once a leader, I think once a leader realizes that they could be partly responsible for another person's suffering, I think that is the first step toward meaningful change. And maybe the first group of people that need to listen to this are some of our political leaders, because there's oh, obviously absolutely. a whole there's a lot of people that feel yeah, like they're absolutely. insignificant and don't matter. Right. Uh, but we've we've got to cut off the conversation, unfortunately. Uh, Zach, you are welcome back anytime. Uh, I can't wait to. I know it's a year out or so, but I can't wait to get my hands on your book. Love to continue this conversation. Uh, and thank you. Two real quick things. We do our lightning round. Quick uh -huh. questions. If you were a car. What kind of car would you be and why? <laughs> oh, my gosh. If I were a car, I'd, I'd be a Toyota Tacoma pickup truck. And here's why. You know, you could drive it around town, but it likes to get away a little bit, you know, and it's versatile <laughs> in that way. So maybe I'm a little oh, biased because I, yeah. I have one. I have one. Good answer. Good answer. Last week we had a Jeep. Um, is it's yeah. rough and it takes and it feels all the bounces. Yeah. Hopefully, you can and get and some down. advertising dollars for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one one other quick question: What's something people get often get wrong about you? Um, I think they get wrong of me, but that I'm that I'm all about touchy feely, fluffy stuff, <laughs> right? And or that I'm an extrovert. I'm an introvert. I score incredibly high on a, on a thinker category. You know, I. Am a rational. I'm a rationalizer. I teach emotional concepts from a rational lens. I've actually I thought this stuff through. I can't logically think of another way. Like I can't, <laughs> I can't logically think that any there could be any outcome without human energy. You know, so a lot of people think that I'm all you know maybe new agey, touchy feely, but I really think about this stuff in a logical, data driven way, and, and I and I have not found a good argument against it yet.
Yeah, the touchy feely people probably drive you nuts because, because some of the what they do is not. Yeah, because there's no right. Well, there's no lagging. It there's no indicator that it's designed for. Yeah, which can also be that's a whole nother podcast. you can you can have too much mattering and not yeah. any outcomes. We'll, we'll have you back for that one. Yeah. So, um, Zach, um, across the screen's been scrolling. How to get in touch with you, ZachMercurio.com. Uh, any other ways um, that you prefer? Yeah, jump ZachMercurio.com, and I, I've really been enjoying my community on LinkedIn. So you can find me there. Okay. Excellent. Yeah, I appreciate it. And I appreciate you. And, and thanks very much for being here. Uh, and pleasure. thank you, everybody from Googleization Nation. Thank you for, for being here as well. Uh, we appreciate you. Thank you for listening and watching. Uh, if you haven't joined us yet, please uh, go to GoogleizationNation.com or connect with me on LinkedIn as well. I want to thank Zach Mercurio for being here. Uh, and uh, if you are listening on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast, uh, please rate us and leave a review. And until next week, don't let the shift hit your plans. Thanks for watching Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization. Be sure to listen to the podcast and follow us on YouTube. This show was produced and edited by Hilton Productions.